वेलकम टू सिंटॉक सिंटॉकर्स अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द पैराडॉक्सेस एंड कॉन्ट्रोडिक्शंस विल थिंक अबाउट लॉजिकल एंड अदर पैराडॉक्सेस एंड कॉन्ट्रोडिक्शंस एज अ क्लास व्हाई डू पैराडॉक्सेस कम टू बी do all paradoxes carry certain common features are all contradictions artifacts of logic or are they a feature of reality how can we know is the number of paradoxes always increasing and how are they resolved is nature completely formalizable are certain subdomains more paradoxical is quantum mechanics paradoxical are paradoxes vague or precise and when what might be the long term future of paradoxes and is a paradox free conception of the world possible we are pleased and privileged to have three some talkers with us here today Professor Luigi Accardi is an old-fashioned mathematician with interest in both the philosophical aspects as well as his interaction with the outer world. He is from the Volterra Center at University of Rome, Tor Vergata. Professor Supratik Chakraborty is a student of computer science. His work is in the areas of formal methods. whereas primary concern is to bridge theory and practice is from IIT Bombay and professor Navjyoti Singh he has been involved with philosophical issues of mathematics arts and humanities over the years is from triple IIT in Hyderabad so luigi maybe we set the ball rolling with you um what exactly are paradoxes is there is there something common to all the paradoxes that a common feature and how do they come to be what causes them and of course there are a bundle of questions there and we'll open more as we go what are they what are, what are what are paradoxes to you well etymologically the the uh, idea of paradox come from the greek para means uh, Uh, beyond and doxa means uh, commonly accepted opinion mm-hmm. but in the in the development of history uh, naturally arises the question uh, this uh, adjective commonly accepted opinion to which kind of level of society refers right for example to explain this one can one can uh, illustrate some famous very famous paradoxes and show that they belong to completely different categories from this point of view mm-hmm. for example the probably the most ancient paradox in in uh, science is the paradox of uh, uh, achilles and the turtle which uh, was uh, developed uh, by zenone in connection zeno the famous greek right. philosopher in uh, connection with the philosophy of parmenides who tended to uh, negate the possibility of movement 
Right. In fact, this paradox. So this is the race between Achilles and tortoise. And if if the tortoise is ahead, then you can never catch up with the tortoise. That's yes, the bec- but the point is that why he never catch? Because he, the argument was you have to cut in half the distance. Right. So the turtle must reach the first point. Then you have to cut again half, and the turtle must reach the other sure. point. Eventually, you cut in infinitely many pieces, and so the uh, Achilles, to uh, reach the turtle, must uh, m- must make in a finite number of time infinitely many acts, must overcome infinitely many things. So you see, this is uh, I sometimes it is uh, said that uh, mathematical analysis overcomes this uh, paradox with the concept of limit, but this is completely. Not true because uh, the paradox is exactly that uh, there is an infinity, an infinity of steps, and the limit is an infinitistic procedure. The real point is that this paradox, is, paradox, points very, very deep, uh, difficult uh, to conceptualize notion, namely the alternative between discrete and continuum. So in this case, uh, Luigi, is this a trivial paradox for you, or is it paradoxical even to you? It is. Is it, a, is it a deep paradox? Or it a is. A, it is a, a, a real paradox in the sense that it is a good paradox which stimulates <laughs> reflection. Right. And still now, after so about two millennia passed, even more right. from Zeno time, and still we cannot say that we have a, a real understanding because uh, the uh, human beings have a, a feeling for continuum. Everybody has a kind of intuitive feeling. Our movement seems continuum. Right. A sound of an orchestra seems a continuum. But, but in reality, the notion of continuum hides many, many subtle points. For example, from the point of view of physics, a physicist would never argue like Zeno. He would say, what is the velocity of Achilles? What is the distance? Right. And with a simple calculation, he will compute how much time Achilles t- takes to uh, reach the turtle. But this presupposes the continuum. Right. So I- human beings, in some sense, act in the continuum, but, but cannot represent very well in their intuition the continuum. But Luigi, the very fact that Achilles or anybody else for that matter can overtake a tortoise means that that is not a paradox. And that, that it, it was a paradox in the, in the literal sense because, it's a paradox in because the, the argument hmm. seemed to be correct. Zeno hmm. does not make a faulty argument. It is true. He has to do infinitely many and from the point of view of discrete, Achilles has to do infinitely many acts. Right. But we human beings, we believe that we cannot do infinitely many acts. Right. Because we are, in the language of computer science, we could say we are a finite machine. Right. Okay. So there is a point that uh, is not obvious behind this. Is the point is that we have not a deep intuition of continuum. I, I can. There are many parad- many paradoxes have been uh, existed in science, and they have played an important role in the development of science. But we cannot say that they play a role in the everyday practice of science. Mm. These are like something that is in the background of the brain and in the background of the culture, and from time to time you recognize that some 
something that has been discovered uh, throws some light on this very old problem that many people does not... Uh, I don't think that there are scientists who specialize on paradoxes. <laughs> sure. See, they, <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah, although there exists a nice book on the paradox uh, in, in only in probability theory. But it's a book devoted only to the paradox arisen in the field of probability. Is there a common feature to not even if it's not to all the paradoxes is there something common to most paradoxes is there a way of saying that this is or these are certain common features my answer will be very very personal i have thought very much on paradoxes in my life because i studied very much uh, i tried to solve some of the para- so called par- now we can say so called paradoxes of quantum mechanics we'll get to but that we'll get to that we will get to that but But uh, uh, my personal idea is that uh, the good paradox, not uh, the simply wrong ones, but the good ones, like Achilles and the turtle, is a good paradox. uh, This is an example of a good paradox. They they stimulate our uh, uh, understanding of the fact that uh, there is, in in our language... There are many things that we give for granted. But when we go at a deeper level of our understanding, we realize that our language is too poor to describe some situations. Sure, we'll get back to that. So Navjyoti, where are you on this? I mean, is this well, largely an epistemological issue or does it somehow connect with reality with a capital R as well? Well, one thing about paradoxes, the good ones, the good ones, is that they they make a comeback. Many times people feel that there is a solution. They've been resolved. Resolved like uh, Zeno's paradox. Zeno's paradox. The, the concept of limits. Right. Newton, etc. They thought they resolved it. and But there is another versions came up. Like there's a counting version of that. Right. That every time you transfer halfway by the time you reach from point A to B, right. you have counted infinite. Right, right. So uh, that seems to be impossible. And uh, so but it makes what, a comeback. What are paradoxes? Well, paradoxes are perennial kind of knots mm-hmm. in about in our thinking about the world. But it's a knot in our thinking. Yeah, it is a knot in the thinking which owes something to the nature of reality. Something, not everything. Not everything. And uh, reality happens to be both the outlying world as well as thinking together. Reality is composed of both. And uh, It's not like thinking is outside, outside of reality. Outside of reality. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's entangled, entangled in right. some sense. So, uh, there have been thinkers who have thought that this entangled reality is paradoxical by its nature. For instance, you know, many people popular way thought contradictions are real. Mm-hmm. Like Karl Marx, for instance, said that contradictions are real. I mean, they're there. And um, so Hegel before that thought thesis, antithesis right. are synthesized. Right. Or the present is pregnant with future. Right. Change. You know, these are these are sort of apprehensions from reality which are uh, paradoxical by the nature. 
And when you say they are real, they are real in the sense that they have a real impact on the future. In this, so in what sense are they real? They are real in the intrinsic uh, apprehension of reality. The way reality is uh, is taken in by us, the way it's articulated. Uh, these paradoxes, paradoxes come up as as uh, as a descriptor of our articulations, and uh, that there are even a thing like a conception, a concept, is, is something when we say a child is conceived. You know, at which point is a child conceived? You can never go it go that far. It's, it's a little paradoxical issue. The moment sun is rising, is begin to set. So the notions by which we apprehend reality, they seem to be uh, corners where they clash, the meanings clash. So there is something natural about paradoxes. So is that does that have to do with the nature of processes in the world? The fact that they are non that transitions are always fuzzy, that, that they're overlapping sets, are these things of this nature? Right, 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 right. So we try to, the general common understanding would be with our language, with our thinking, we try to freeze mm. reality. Mm. Reality escapes that uh, attempt to freeze it. Via? Yeah, via our language, etc. And thus, we arrive at uh, contradictions and uh, uh, dilemmas, disputes, disbeliefs, doubts. Right. These are all kind of... Uh, you would put them in the same class. Same class. So as if uh, reality, our engagement with the world is giving us this situation, Abhinesho, and uh, we try to sort of uh, get over them, try to solve them, try to make neat things, but then at the horizon, at the corners, again paradoxes reappear. Where are you on this, Supratek? Is it largely a logical matter? Artifacts of logic? Yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, my... Do you uh, even worry about things like reality um, as, as a computer scientist? <laughs> of course, of mm. course. Uh, we worry about a lot, about reality a lot. Uh, but I guess uh, the lens through which I see paradoxes... Uh, is uh is is a more formal uh, lens uh, you know i i don't mean to say the other lenses are not formal but this is probably more mechanistic lens where uh you know one tries to understand that uh was there something in the process of reasoning right. from one step to the next step of reasoning uh was there something there in that process which is leading to things which can and cannot be. Sure. Things, uh, or, or even in cases where we know that the thing exists, but I cannot infer that as a process of this, as, as a byproduct it of this mechanism. It cannot be logically derived. It cannot be logically derived. So, uh, to me, when I look at uh, paradoxes that sort of I kind of encounter in my studies, mm -hmm. So these are uh, largely, by and large, uh, I think a, 
a product, a byproduct of the reasoning process that we are using. And then this leads to also questions that is there a reasoning process which does not lead to any paradoxes? Is there a way to reason which does not lead to paradoxes? What's the answer to that? So in the setting that I work in, uh, I think Kurt Gödel sort of demolished that idea that uh, there can be a way of formal reasoning which is consistent, which is axiomatic, um, which can explain arithmetic and uh, through which we can define truth. He showed that, uh, and it's not only Kurt Gödel, there was Tarski after that, and right. you know. So I think this has come up repeatedly. That and of course, the, that's a canonical result, but is it, do all of the computer scientists agree on it? Is there, is there, I mean, is, is there a chink in that armor at all? Or, uh, Well, you know, I mean, chink in the armor is uh, in the sense that one could say that that is how truth should be defined mechanistically mm-hmm. or one could say, no, that's not how truth should be defined. You know, truth is not something. So if if you agree that truth is something which, uh, you know, I can either show or not show, I can show it to exist or not to exist, uh, then I think it is, uh, you know, I, I would say Gerald's result uh, is, a very robust is, is a very robust result. And I mean, his his argument was very straightforward. It's a self-referential argument, but I think it also shows that anytime we try to come up with these mechanistic kinds of reasoning, we can basically borrow Gerald's proof technique to show that there will be contradictions. And what exactly is the technique? I mean, we don't need to do the so, whole thing, uh, but essentially, what is it? So, uh, so, so at a at a very high level, you sure. know, it. Uh, so, so what he did is he said that. Uh, Statements can be encoded as numbers. So this is called the Kettle numbering. Mm -hmm. And then he asked that, uh, is there a way to express all the numbers which represent true statements? Mm -hmm. Is is there a way to express uh, the set of numbers which encode true statements in his encoding and he showed that uh, this leads to a self-referential argument. And so, therefore, uh, there cannot exist such a thing. Which basically means that, uh, you know, another way to look at it is that, suppose you you, you come up with a system of reasoning mm-hmm. and then you want to reason about that system of reasoning. Mm-hmm. So, it's going to be insufficient to stay within that system. You'll need to go to a, another meta meta level to reason about that. But then you if you want to reason about that meta level... That's going to be insufficient, and you need to go. And and so this continues so a, ad infinitum. Right. At any level, if I want to prove truth at that level, truth being mechanistically defined, then you always need, I a need meta to appeal level to a meta that. level. But then the question comes: What about truth at that meta level? And, and this this kind of uh, argument is kind of uh, all pervasive in uh, in mathematics and computer science. Uh, I guess even in philosophy and logic, this is all pervasive. And uh, so, so as long as we subscribe to this notion that truth is something which uh, you know, which is very formalizable, uh, I think we will come up with these contradictions. Right? But then, yeah. but then, you know, I'm not saying that truth has to be so rigorously formalizable. Uh, sure, sure. I think you're kind of describing what Gödel and others did. Yeah. Why Gettle's... can't why can't methods of reasoning be reasoned from within that method? See, one of the issues which was raised was finitistic versus infinite. Mm. 
all the paradoxes seems to have something to do with infinity and zero, mm. uh, mm. including Lyers' paradox, because mm. uh, you know there's a limit to what meta-meta constructions yes. one can do. Mm-hmm. So uh, it involves. Why is there a limit to meta-meta? Because of infinite regress. The infinite regress is one of the logical, one of the reasoning fallacies. Because if you race, go to a meta level, then what about meta or meta of that? If there is a, there are levels of uh, types of reasoning, then you will reach uh, sort of next level. And if you include that, you know, you will reach, have to reach the next level. In fact, Godel, all his life, after doing this incompleteness, tried to show that the infinitary axiom system is complete. Suppose you get a uh, a statement which is outside the system mm-hmm. which is well formed in the, uh, in the system in the previous system but not provable then if you can prove its independence you can include that as a as a as a axiom and make right. a new system right right then you will run into from Gödel's theorem another such statement you may run into prove its independence and put it in axiom. So he thought that infinitary axiom system should be complete. It should be all his life. He tried to do that. But so uh, many of these things and the continuum issue which was raised is uh, again to do with infinity. And uh, so the demand of reason to be finitistic. The demand of reason on reason, that reason has to be finitistic, is running into uh, situations of reality which is not uh, probably finitistic. So, I mean, there are many ways by which uh, irrationality could be handled, including like in a uh, Greek example, if I give, like a a modern way, thermometer, um, mercury runs like a real number. Yeah. But we have notches which are rational numbers. Yeah. We think that, you know, proportions of real numbers are equivalent to proportions of uh, rational numbers. So we reason about irrational numbers by the theory of proportions. That is, two rational ratios. But why are, can't we do all our mathematics in the continuous domain, Luigi? When, is it primarily this contest between discrete and continuous? Uh, are these primarily measurement issues? Why can't the paradoxes be resolved of, of the kind that we're referring to here? Well, the, the paradoxes have to do with the logic, with, namely with the foundational mathematics. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in practice, what happens is uh, that every mathematician has a kind of a fa- faith like religious faith that he will not get mathematics will not come up and meet a contradiction mm-hmm. uh, Hilbert was uh, he posed the problem to trans- transform this religious faith into a proof right a, 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 this is a famous Hilbert program that was disproved by Godel. but, the, by yeah. Godel. but yeah. the crucial point is that uh, the what Hilbert wanted is not only to assure the non-existence of contradictions, but also he did not want to lose what was the patrimony and the everyday practice of mathematicians. 
If you restrict the axioms sufficiently, for example, intuitionistic logic uh, is a, a, a logic which restricts everything to constructivity. In some sense, it is nearer to computer science than the Hilbert program, mm -hmm. the abstract Hilbert program, because it really is algorithmic. Mm -hmm. So every, everything is reduced to a finite number of steps. It, 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 it excludes the, the tertium non dator. The, 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 through the third principle, it doesn't accept. So, in that case, really, the, 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 the Gödel theorem is not true. So, in this sense, I say it's a theorem. Because when you speak of a theorem, you must always specify what are its assumptions. <laughs> then you can speak of a theorem. So, Gödel's in, theorem is a theorem. It's not a law. It's a theorem, not a law. It's a theorem. So, it has some assumptions. And right. you have to specify. If you drop these assumptions, you drop the conclusion. The point is that <laughs> we don't want, we don't want to, like Hilbert said, we don't want to abandon the paradise that Cantor created for us. Right. It's a symbolic way of speaking to say we don't want to, mathematicians uh, don't want to renounce to their manipulations on, on infinite sets. They don't want to renounce to induction, even transfinite induction. Right. So that is the, what proved to be not provable. You see. Right. But uh, you see, this is uh, just a, 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 a. This is a, in some sense, related to what I was saying before. When you say something against uh, a common opinion, the common opinion of whom? Right. You see that Achille cannot reach. The turtle is against a common opinion, I think, of every human being, because every <laughs> human being can right. understand this. Right. But the Hilbert program is a little bit more subtle. And if you go to another level, which was the, the, para the paradox, for example, in probability, classical probability, mm -hmm. the Bertrand paradox, really is very interesting because... Uh, I, is a, again, is again technically, is not like Achille and the turtle. But it seemed that uh, they, they were related uh, to the fact that if you, the, if you uh, adopt three different techniques to solve a problem, which uh, was completely well posed, is a little bit technical to explain the problem. If you sure, take sure, the sure. chord of the circle and you take a chord of a circle randomly, what is the probability that you get a chord which is longer than the size of the triangle inside the circle? So as you see, even the formulation is not, uh, is not like Achilles not and the like turtle Achilles that turtle. everybody yeah. can simply understand. The, the, what, what is the paradox? It's not that one answer brings two things against the opinion, but the, according to how you compute the answer, you get different answers. So, mm. you see, this is the connection with the language. Mm. Where is the connection with the language? In the hidden fact that in the statement of the problem, the problem says, you take at random a chord, but what is operationally, what does it mean to take at random? Mm. And in fact, the three different answers correspond to three different ways to take it at random, in quotation marks, this chord. So the, what this helped us, it helped us to understand that 
the notion of choose at random is a very, very subtle notion. Mm. Randomness is something, as in computer science people know yeah, very I mean, well, that if we don't have anything is something that the human being cannot create. Yes. Real randomness. Mm. Human, even if it seems that human beings are very good in creating chaos, <laughs> in reality, <laughs> it is impossible for a human being to create real chaos. Mm. Mm. You and see. you know, I th I think Luigi touched upon this notion of language. Um, does that yes. carry to the world of logic? To the yes, world absolutely. Of yeah. So I think the the notion of language he's talking about is the formal language. It's you know how you how you put together different parts of reasoning to come up with another another fact. Um, and uh, I'm trying I, to I see this, this interplay Supratik between algorithms and language and one way to do this could be purely algorithmically but is there a way of running away from language altogether? No, so uh, I mean you know algorithms are just specific ways of manipulating languages every algorithm is right. doing a certain manipulation which can be you know reasoned about in a very formal way an right. algorithm actually specifies in some way what that manipulation is going on. And I think this this lies at the core of, uh, uh, you know, what Luigi mentioned. It lies at the core of, you know, any system of reasoning that we come up with is that uh, we have to have faith in something. We have to have, we have to say here is where we start, hmm. right? And if, if, we are, if we are saying that, no, I'm, I'm going to question where I'm starting and let me go back to, something from which I can derive this, I still have to start from something, mm. right? So, so at the end of the day, we do start with something where we have faith, right? I mean, the axiom of choice is one such thing. I mean, there is an enormous edifice of mathematics which is resting on the axiom of choice. But it's an axiom, you know? I mean, you are free and anybody of us are free to disagree with that. And there is nobody who can prove to us that the axiom of choice is true. And uh, if, if you believe that it is not true, then a lot of things just uh, don't hold anymore. We cannot, uh, we cannot mechanistically arrive at that. So, so we need to have this faith in something before we build our edifice of reasoning. And uh, depending on what you... But Supratik, does it have to do with the logical systems themselves? Is it likely that what is paradoxical, let's say, in one logical system is quite okay, natural or transparent in another? Yeah, I mean, uh, one logic's paradox may not be the other logic's paradox, but then that logic, if it's a formal <laughs> system of reasoning, uh, right. it is going to have its own paradox. Right. So, uh, I think this, uh, so escaping paradox, you know, as Navjyoti was saying, uh, this seems to be difficult because, you know, no matter what, what reasoning we come up with, the moment we try to apply that reasoning to, you know, explain things around us, want want reality to be explained through that, then we see these other limitations of that. But what what still is a little baffling mm -hmm. is that if, as you go from one step to the next in whichever algorithmic procedure you choose, yeah, I mean every single preceding step is logical in in that frame. Yes, but it still leads to something confounding in the next, right? No, it, it doesn't, it's not that the next, we don't know what the next step is going to lead to. 
the question is does this algorithmic mechanistic procedure is it able to you know sort of encode is it able to formalize all that we wanted to reason about right. we know what it is reasoning about and as far as that is concerned there is no uh, question about it but is it encoding all that we wanted to reason about can it capture the whole of truth can it always so for example you know i mean uh, this, this, actually this this is not paradoxical at all but mm-hmm. in logic we talk about something called completeness right okay so when we say completeness we say that there's a fact and this fact is true and we know that uh, there is a way to arrive at the truth of this fact but there may not be any algorithmic way to arrive at the truth of this fact so a logic can be complete but maybe undecidable right i mean first order logic is an example of this it's right. complete so every true statement in first order logic has a proof right but there is no algorithm which can systematically search and find out the truths for all sta- for all true statements in first order logic right right so so this notion of having an algorithm uh is actually you know much more restricted than just saying that can we formalize truth in first order logic we know that every true formula has a proof it's complete I and mean, this, this this was in fact gadel's completeness result right 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 but uh, we also know that it is undecidable which means uh, given a statement is, i cannot there is another way of uh, you know one is to when you look at paradoxes we try to sort of take it as a issue of reason there is another way of looking at paradoxes to take it as issue of notions 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 mm-hmm. notions seems to be con- conflicting for instance when we said about uh, continuous you know everybody knows 24 frames per second of movies discrete frames are impeccably continuous we know that they are at know, the level of our perception our perception so continuum is created in us out of discrete images yeah on the one side maybe there is a uh, real continuum also is created by by discreteness of cardinality higher than real numbers there there could be discrete cardinality which is higher than real numbers mm. so i mean these are notional issues how do we uh, sort of conceive uh, continuum and discreteness so uh, many of these paradoxes are occurring at a notional level you know, mm-hmm. like uh, the moment you're being born you begin dying mm. you know these are two notions of death and birth are, are being uh, sort of put together and they seem to be creating unease about how to reason so there are uh, ways of looking at paradox purely from notional viewpoint and there would be ways of looking at paradox which is systemic mm-hmm. as a system building in reason is leading to a paradoxical situation like godel or otherwise uh, uh, including you know people when they try to solve some of the paradoxes uh, through certain reasoning mechanisms they ended up not solving it mm. including that uh, zeno's paradox so if one looks at it notionally then we know that there are many 
sort of almost like paradoxical notions. They're not paradox is an apparent contradiction. Which when we hear a paradox, we feel there is some contradiction, but I can solve it. I can get rid of it. But you make an attempt and you're not able to solve it. That's been a history of ideas. But there are very many common notions we use which are paradoxical. We do talk about uh, but not not all opposites are paradoxes, right? Um, they're not. They're not. Only they should reach, lead to so certain a, stasis, certain situation of a feeling of uh, contradiction. That there is, uh, they, they should lead to doubt directly. A feel of a doubt. It should lead to. They should be mutually exclusive. You can't both die and be born at the same time. At the same time. Be. But there are situations when both of them are occurring together and that situation creates certain discomfort in us. Can things be neither true nor false? Yes. In systems, <laughs> it, it depends on the faith from where you start. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think we are... By and large, in our common day, everyday lives, we think that things are so either true or false. this is a question about reality, Suprateek. Uh, yes. This is a question about reality. Can things be both true and false? Or neither true nor false? Luigi? Maybe it's a good time to go to the quantum mechanical world. Yeah, and, I mean, and understand <laughs> this happens well, all the time. And understand yeah. exactly the quantum what... quantum mechanical so-called paradoxes arose as a type of paradoxes different from the two types that we described before. Right. And the two types are mutually different. Quantum mechanics is a third, is a third uh, kind of uh, against common opinion. Mm. But this time is common opinion of scientists. <laughs> what they have all three in common is this, that you do an apparently perfectly correct reasoning. Right. But the conclusion is something... Uh, that you don't agree is with. You don't psychologically lie. disturbing in some <laughs> sense. Or even in some other cases, it really seems to contradict or really contradicts some truths that we consider completely established. Right. And this is what exactly what happened in quantum mechanics. In quantum mechanics, there are two fundamental sources of serious paradox. There are a lot of other variants which are less fundamental. But the two fundamental are the prototype of paradox, which is the two-slit experiment, which is essentially based on the fact that when quantum mechanics was born, material objects... You can only be in one place at one time. So, Well, the, the, the issue of quantum mechanics was born when the... You see, Einstein discovered that a wave can have corpuscular properties. Yes. And De Broglie postulated that the converse could be true. Right. That matter can be and have wave properties. Right. And this two-slit experiment was done by this diffraction experiments, right. in which it was proved that this De Broglie very, very, very uh, courageous <laughs> right. uh, idea was true. Right. was exactly true. Right. What was the paradox? The paradox is very, very well explained by, by physicists like Heisenberg, like Feynman. Feynman, every important paper, every important book begins with the description of this paradox. And uh, this is the two-slit experiment. Essentially, the point uh, 
that we discovered, uh, what is the point? Feynman shows that this experiment brings a contradiction with a famous formula of probability theory. Mm. Okay? Mm. And about... Uh, uh, Feynman uh, did not invent this postulate. The postulate was, the, the, the paradox was in fact first pointed out by Einstein in the Solvay conference. And uh, the, there was a big debate. Now, of course, there is no time to reconstruct all this, but the essential point is a jump. Another, the other fundamental paradox that arose something like, uh, something like, uh, uh, 40 years after the Solvay conference, which is the famous Bell inequality, that has been considered by all physicists, including Bell himself, as a proof of, non of contradiction between quantum theory and relativity through the fact that the, they believed that they, this, uh, uh, if you believe in the truth of quantum mechanics, then this Bell inequality oblige you to postulate that there is a non-local effect in nature. Mm. Now, quantum probability was born when it was recognized that both this proof, you see, all proofs are, uh, are based on experimental data. Right. So they, in this sense, they are paradoxical. The reasoning is perfectly correct, both right. in Feynman and in Bell. Right. The step-by-step -step conclusion is perfectly correct. What, what is missing? They so what, what does quantum probability solve? How does it solve it? This, it discovers the hidden assumption that they, and the, and the really important point is that this hidden assumption is common for the two. And that there have been a lot of ad hoc explanation sure. for the two things separately. Sure. But quantum probability is a very uh, conceptual point and it says there is a hidden assumption the argument is perfectly correct, but as always happens in physics, physics are very good to deduce, but <laughs> no, mathematicians are also want to know what, what are the assumptions from which you deduce, <laughs> you see? And so, this physics neglects a little bit. So which is that hidden assumption? The hidden assumption is that, you see, in both cases, mm -hmm. in, in the Bell inequality and in the two-slit, you have some experimental data mm -hmm which in both cases are taken in three not only different but mutually incompatible experiments. So these are statistical data mm -hmm. in the two-liter conditional probability. In the Bell case are correlations, but mm -hmm. they are statistical data. They can be reduced one to another very easily, mathematically. Sure. Sure. Okay, so they have in common this. You have some statistical data. What is the hidden assumption? I have some data taken from reality, from experiment. The hidden assumption of both is I can describe, I can fit this data in a single classical probabilistic model. Right. If you analyze the mathematics behind the two, you discover this. So what is the real contradiction? It's not with the locality or the, the two-slit experiment was used by Heisenberg to justify his idea of the notion of virtual reality. So one has to, re one has to revisit the probability models themselves? Is, is, that, is that what is happening here? 
the, the, there is a mathematical hidden assumption. Mm. So what is, in, before abandoning some, of course, you, again, when there, also locality, locality is not an assumption, for example, in the Bell inequality, because you can prove mathematically, you can construct example in which locality is not satisfied, but these inequality are true. So every person will agree that locality is not essential. What is really essential is because if you drop this assumption, then the contradiction disappears. Mm. So what we have learned from this kind of solution, we have learned that there exists non-classical model of the laws of chance exactly as with Gauss and Riemann, it was realized Not that there exists... Not classical model of space. Exactly. Right. Different mathematical models of the laws of space, so different which is geometry. law of chance. So, you see, so you see, that is the point. You, uh, that is why sometimes we call quantum probability, because mm. it is something, it is for probability mm. what non-Euclidean geometry is for geometry. And... Uh, geometry, how do you prove this again? Geometry has some invariance. Yeah. The first and most famous one was Gaussian curvature. Yeah. Okay. And then the problem was what are similar things in, in probability? And then you can compute the, what we now call statistical invariance. Right. So, given the experimental, so in geometry, given the three angles of an angle, how do you prove the three angles you can measure? If you are an astronomer, you measure the angles. Yeah. So, they are experimental data. Yeah. Using the data, how do you distinguish if the triangle is Euclidean or not? And this is a famous theorem by Gauss called the Theorema Egregium. In probability, given the statistical data, for example, transition probability or correlation, like in the case of Bell. How can you decide if the classical model exists or not? And here also, we have mathematically, this is not an easy task to deduce this invariant. Like in geometry, it's not easy to find the invariants. But they exist. And they, in some model, in many models, can be computed. I mean, the, 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 the classical probability, is it a subset of quantum probability? Or do they operate in different... Scales, because is a, a mathematically, mm. from the point of view of formalism, mm. you can say that is a subset. But from the point of view of uh, the uh, bridge with experiments, mm. it is not, in the sense that you can prove that there exists quantum models which have no classical correspondence and classical models... Which have no quantum correspondence. Exactly. So, that just has from to the point the of view of the bridge things. with experiment, they are different theories. So this has taken about 100 odd years, but so does this mean or is this an instance that all paradoxes in the long run become so-called paradoxes? Is there something similar that we're dealing with? In, in quantum mechanics, yes. Of course, <laughs> not in logic. <laughs> A logic and it is different. But, but how the do we quantum paradoxes, you see, they have a different nature than the logical paradoxes. How do we know that we're not missing something similar in the logical context? 
well uh, you, you know uh, what so, i mean sapratik yeah i guess you're asking is it possible that tomorrow somebody comes up with a system of reasoning where yeah, none so. of the paradoxes that we're talking about exist yeah right so so the point is yes you can come up with but that logic will have its own paradox so you can so you know this relates to the question that you asked in the introduction mm. is there an infinity of paradoxes mm. in logic yes certainly there is i mean th- this relates to this meta meta and meta of meta i mean <laughs> there are paradoxes at each level so uh i mean you you have a certain set of paradoxes today and you can try to come up with a system of reasoning which seems to settle that but then if you want to reason about that system of reasoning it will have its own paradoxes so yeah. so i think uh, so so if we have to i think the question act- is that what is it about this world of reasoning or a domain of reasoning that somehow seems to because at least in the quantum mechanics world at least one of them has been kind of satisfactorily explained with the introduction of the notion of quantum probability by luigi and people such as him um but that's still a somewhat physical domain this is the domain of reasoning and but logic. here maybe that was not a paradox to begin with i mean some paradoxes which get solved right uh, may not be paradoxes to begin with paradoxes are those which make a comeback mm-hmm. <laughs> but there which, is a difference which uh, right between quantum because logic and in quantum mechanics the paradoxes were rising from arguments there was a reasoning that seemed to be very correct right but in logic they are not arguments they are theorems so the the problem is not an opinion the right. problem is very clear cut do i accept the assumptions of the theorem or not right but once you accept you cannot say but I know, accept the assumption but I don't accept the thesis. Right. That that will be really a contradiction yeah, and not they, a paradox. There right. there would be uh sort of uh, the way systemic kind of a logical paradoxes which have come up like one way to understand them would be uh intuitive discomfort. Why is it that Godel without the assumptions which are there behind the system of his thing is popular is because it seems to be intuitively acceptable popularly acceptable yeah you know godel is true is appears to uh, ordinary person uh, with some evidence without actually getting into assumptions which godel made the kind of arithmeticization he tried and you know all those anti diagonal proofs there are issues there in that but beyond that there's intuitive acceptance to these things uh and is godel's result wrong... itself paradoxical no, no i don't think so it, intuitively it's one kind of so, gets so so I, i think a key component of godel's technique is basically cantor's paradise which is you <laughs> you do self referential arguments mm. right and i think whenever you try to do self referential arguments so i think i was having this discussion with you long back right how does my tongue taste I right. have no clue how my tongue tastes because I have to use my tongue to taste my tongue. Right. Right. So right. the the moment I do self-referential arguments, we enter this world where uh, you know certain things just cannot be done. 
I mean, certain things cannot be done uh, assuming that you're starting from a certain system of axioms that you 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 define what that the taste is something which the tongue can sense, and then you ask how does the tongue taste. This. So only thing is, this is prior to any reasoning about taste and tongue. Yeah, yeah. this will a yeah. ground truth. This, this, like, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but this is not a logical problem. No, I'm I'm trying to illustrate the self-referential yes. business. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, yes. so the moment you bring in self-referentiality, you know, all of uncomputability is a consequence of self-referential. Right. Self-reference. You know, Gödel's incompleteness is a consequence of self-reference, and uh, so so I think. Uh, you know this business of trying to ref- refer to your own self to define something about you i think it's a great uh, point it it actually gives rise to these uh, so called paradoxical situations are there domains where paradoxes are more common is, uh, is, so so you have to define what you mean by more common i mean logic is filled with paradoxes <laughs> right but i mean the question is do we encounter these in practice i mean probably you know physicists were encountering these a lot in practice and therefore there's there was a need to resolve this uh, i mean i would say that you know in, in our common everyday life i mean yeah in a <laughs> we hardly every- encounter gödel's theorem uh, kicking in <laughs> right i mean we are are paradoxes a practical concern at all i think they are they are in in common sense and in everyday reasoning but uh, one comes across it with the notion of doubt uh no i i mean it in a stricter sense of just paradox nujyoti no paradox is a is a startling formulation a paradox like zeno paradox or lias paradox nullity or barber paradox all these are a little bit startling formulations but at the base there is uh discomfort about all of them and which seems to be encountered in many occasions ordinary occasions not just in rigorous reasoning mm. in uh, ordinary occasions where notions are involved everyday notions etc you encounter them and um, in but is it the case that uh, we we cannot uh, resolve them uh, if we want to or is it is it we the quest to resolve them is mm. justified every time because mm. a paradox appears to you in a context of reason and engagement so a quest to resolve them is a burden which paradox puts on you mm-hmm. so you fine tune your concepts and your notions so that you get away uh, get over them and uh, it's is like quest to reason it's like you have a uh, quest to justice even if there are there's a dispute around and there's no way to sort of you don't have formulation how to resolve it but still you will attempt to resolve it mm-hmm. so that burden of responsible paradoxes put a lot of burden on reason absolutely and uh, yeah. they they are delight for the <laughs> for the thinkers <laughs> the situation of paradoxes and you have to you can reason them uh, nicely and so they put burden on you and people come up with uh, but do indefinites exist in an absolute sense or they seem to because uh, in most of the quests they seem to show themselves up again and again and uh, many times when people felt that they have made systems which are you know free of uh, 
any issues like leprosy and demons, etc., uh, they're found to be false. So there, there is some uh, sort of coming back, which is very hard about paradoxes. There's some perennial element in them. Certain amount of perennial elements, which seems to, that's why we recognize them. Oh, these are the same. A mm. liar's paradox or a naming paradox, you know. Something unnameable is a name, etc. They seem to be recurring again and again. And sometimes in a rational situation, they create a challenge, which is, you know, where, where people reason it out and, and try to disambiguate the ambiguities which seems to be there in a paradox. In first encounter with paradoxes, that the ambiguity which paradox is giving can be disambiguated. This quest to disambiguate them is also perennial. You may succeed or not. So, mm. uh, and sometimes there are system builders who have used, uh, who have formulated their fundamental concepts and notions which are paradoxical, like the way I was telling you the other day, that, you know, idea of a, a duration where time doesn't pass. The instant. Uh, the instant is, is, is a paradoxical idea. But, but we, we have those notions we have and those we work notions, with them. And we can't conceive of any container without such a notion. Hmm. And of a place which is our special. Where we, we have encountered that all the time. And, uh, but you know, I think the one thing that I want to go to, and it's a question posed to all of you, is that when we talk of paradoxes, we almost think of them as statements. Is there a problem with that itself? No, I think you know paradoxes I mean, so. are prior to statements. They're notional. Paradoxes are fundamentally so what are notional. What are they? Are they pictures? Are they... they are pictures. That's true. We hit the nail. That's a Wittgenstein approach to yeah. see. But they are basically pictures of the world. Paradoxes appear in uh, when we picture a world in some way. They appear like that. In fact, I was I would say that uh, to make a simple distinction mm -hmm. uh, is uh, is something which puts a burden of of a type which paradoxes put. If I make a distinction between you know outside inside mm. Mm. this room, this will put a burden on me. Mm. So that I avoid all uh, paradoxical uh, discomfort in that. Every distinction uh, involves that burden. And we make millions of them oh. in day-to-day -day life. And when we are doing rational inquiry on something, we make distinctions, fundamental distinctions in that, which could be presumptions, etc. also, not maybe articulated all the time. And, but these distinctions uh, put a burden uh, of going uh, uh, like paradoxes, like creating discomfort some in some other corner. So are paradoxes statements? Do, do, do you know the sense in which I mean that? Uh, no, Is, I think uh, I think they're yeah. It's, statements are just manifestations of paradoxes. I think the paradoxes are. Uh, Underneath. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Underneath thing from somewhere. which these paradoxical statements come. So, uh, uh, so, I think the other way to put it is that can all paradoxes be stated? 
That's the uh, other way to put it, right? Can all paradoxes... Yeah, A to Z of history. paradox is a book. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean, Navjoti. Uh, yeah, can yeah. all paradoxes be stated? Well, if, if it is considered a paradox, it means somebody stated it. But the fact that every paradox <laughs> is a statement, I think has a counterexample. What I mentioned, the Bertrand paradox, mm. it is not a single statement that is considered paradoxical. The paradox arises from the fact that there are three statements which seem each of them perfectly correct, but they reach different conclusion. So right. in this case, a paradox is three statements, not one. The paradox arises when you put them together. I would also uh, say that we have learned from paradoxes to be careful in language. So I right. think one should distinguish for example, right. many there are confusion between wrong arguments, contradictions that in logic are called also antinomies, antinomy, yeah, and paradoxes. There are three different things. You see, we can in science have a science <laughs> have examples of all three sta statements like it. For example, Gödel theorem I would not call a paradox. It's a theorem. Yeah. It has very precise assumptions and very precise consequences. Where is the paradox? Yeah. The Podolskiros and paradoxes was called the paradox, but was called the paradox because the conclusion seemed to be contradictory with the common doxa of physicists. That either locality principle is valid or for quantum physics that uh, there is so-called collapse, physical collapse of the wave packet. Another thing that now we don't need. Because the, the, oh. the, this idea also seems to be uh, paradoxical. And there any, many, many uh, statements, which are simply wrong statements, but not paradoxes, have been constructed by taking this, uh, starting from this, uh, the statement of the collapse as a physical phenomenon, okay? Right. Is uncomputability a paradox? No, it's just a consequence of, uh, uh, you know, the diagonalization argument. So, I think, uh, you know, uncomputability is also an artifact of the way we define computation. Mm -hmm. And uh, What is computation? What does computing? What does computing mean? That's a good question. And I guess we we do not have a, a proof that computing exactly means this. Mm -hmm. But what we have is a generally accepted notion that a Turing machine is what computation means. However, so all computing can be reduced to or can be approximated that is, that via is the, a Turing, Turing machine. That's the belief but it's a hypothesis. It's the Church-Turing hypothesis right. that anything that it admits to any reasonable notion of computation can be done by a Turing machine and it has stood a very so long... So far it's not been proven wrong. Yeah, it's it stood the test of a very long period of time. Right. Uh, and lots of efforts were indeed made to come up with alternative models of computation, you know, lambda calculus, posts uh, calculus and all of that, but each one of them have been shown to be the same as the Turing machine as powerful uh, or less powerful than the Turing machine. Uh, so, so computation as we know it today, as you know, what a Turing machine does, uh, 
it's just a hypothesis that that's all that computation means mm. it is perfectly and you know i mean th- this is a hypothesis which is not just uh, you know somebody's f- you know somebody's favorite pet thing to worry about sure. over a cup of coffee or something yeah. it's something which has been which has survived a lot of assault on it and based on this of course we have built up grand edifices in computing which have yielded lots of beautiful results lots of things with which we can correlate and all of that sure sure however you know i mean in the next few hours somebody could come up with an alternative definition of computing and prove that the turing machine cannot do that this is not ruled out i mean we, we do not have any proof that the turing machine is what computing is and uncomputability as we know it today is a consequence of the fact that if computation is really defined by what a turing machine can do then there are certain things that a turing machine cannot do right. and therefore those must be uncomputable right but uh, who knows i mean so what's the future why don't we spend the last 5 minutes thinking about that is a paradox free conception conception of the world possible i guess not from what from what we've been discussing yeah because paradoxes are interesting because <laughs> <laughs> why why you don't need that kind of world and uh, but paradox is interesting as well as rational enterprise is interesting both are running into a paradox is a very responsible situation yeah so that responsible situation is uh, what will keep uh, paradoxes appearance of them and quest to resolve them on what's the future luigi a thousand years out is it likely that you and your fellow mathematicians and fellow computer scientists and fellow philosophers we'll run out of jobs <laughs> have have erased all paradoxes out and we are in a pristine world no uh, the um, the basic point uh, is uh, that uh, is surely paradoxes had uh, an important role in the development of science and uh, it is likely that uh, this uh, this will continue but, but uh, somehow one, we don't seem to run out of them they they're popping up all the time the the you see it's a long time that we are not confronted with a, a paradox in the sense that uh, we have examined up to now see the last the last uh, truly new paradox the, the truly par- well uh, the well we didn't mention all the paradoxes uh, arising uh, in uh, relativity theory sure in fact gödel <laughs> gödel proved the the existence of closed geodesics which roughly speaking intuitively would mean a kind of cyclicity of time in a certain trajectory sure. which we believe we we don't have any experience experience of this for example indian philosophy believed in in cyclicity of time right. so so you see we didn't mention several things which are considered as paradoxical but i would insist very much on this distinction between a paradox and, and a, contradi- a real contradiction you see paradox can be stimulating mm. you see achille and the turtle in my opinion is not and probably will never have a real answer because because when we go to the continuum the continuum is something that we can control by def- using definitions right. we have developed a language to speak of the continuous but we have not an intuition of continuous 
and concerning logic and computer science. You see, I th my intuition is that in computer and computability, the situation is similar to what was in geometry and what was now discovered for probability. Namely, like there are different models of the geometry and of the laws of chance, there are different models for computability. So there are different laws of... And they lead to different conclusions. Different laws of space-time, different laws of chance, so there could be different laws of... Yeah. The different uh, possible laws. Now... We be, you see, if you believe that there exists only one universe, yeah. the, the laws of space as, as space-time, as physical space, should be unique. Yeah. The point is that there are uncountably many theoretical possibilities. See, the role of the mathematician is to discover these possibilities, which have some interest, and the role of the physicist is among this infinite number of possibility, I want to pick what is the real one. So is there likely to be a law of reasoning? Law, a of, law reasoning. of reasoning? I doubt if there will be a law of reasoning. There will be different schools of reasoning. There will be different uh, formalisms for reasoning. Um, you know, I mean, uh, just on this concluding note, so for example, we are talking about paradoxes and paradoxes are something which sort of come and make us uncomfortable from what our common sense of knowledge is, sure. right? Now, if you try to define what, what is common knowledge... Even that's changing all the time. Yeah, I mean, so, so one way of defining it, in fact, this is a very formal way of defining it, is uh, something is common knowledge if I know it, mm -hmm. and I know that you know it, yeah. and I know that you know that, that you I know, know it, again and this, this goes on forever, right? So... And if you truncate it at any point of time, that's no longer, I can argue that it's no longer common knowledge. Right. So in order to even define what, what is it that it is... The idea uh, of paradox rests on the idea of common knowledge, in a sense. In some sense, right? Common knowledge or whatever you want to call it, it's something that comes and hits at the base of something that we hold dearly to ourselves. What we can say is the access to paradox is as much there in common knowledge as it is in specialist knowledge. Yes, yes. Access is the same. Absolutely. Terrific, terrific. I think that's a good note to end this on. Thanks to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care.